pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 243. Today I'm going to chat with Christy Titus, discuss Florida's agriculture commissioner suing the ATF, highlight the new PDPF from Walther, and talk about the richest homeless man in the world. I'm your host, Ava Flannell. Christy, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Clearly, I'm like having a moment because I'm like tugged, tongue tied. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's just the intro. Agriculture commissioner, though, is kind of a I don't know. I don't know why I'm having a hard time it's saying a, that, but twister. It's a big word. It is right. <laughs> Whatever. You need to have your A game on to say it. I agree. Yeah, and I mean, apparently, I don't have my A game, so you know, no big deal. End of the week. Whatever. <laughs> okay, so Christy, really excited to get to know more about you. Before I do, though, taking a quick break, talking about Smith and Wesson. I've talked about the new Shield Plus and 30 Super Carry before, but I got my hands on one. Super excited about it. Like I mentioned previously, they optimized the mags even further. So now you can hold 16 rounds in the extended mag and 13 in the flush mag. So it's an absolute game changer for capacity, especially when you have very close to the same energy as 9mm. That's right. I'm talking about 30 Super Carry. But it's a little bit smaller of a cartridge, but has the same power and energy. You can get these optic ready, night sights, with or without the thumb safety. MSRP on these is $5.95. Definitely check it out. Shoots great. Just ran mine through the range and I absolutely love it. Head on over to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Christy, I know some of my listeners know who you are, but for those who may not, can you give us a background on who you are and what it is that you do in this industry? That's a really good question. I often wonder what I do <laughs> today when I wake up. I'm like, wow, what am I going to do today? And the list just compiles. Right. Um, so I, um, oh boy, I grew up in Oregon just hunting public land with my dad. We have mules and we would, you know, pack into the backcountry. And I just liked always being outdoors. And you know, my best friends growing up were boys and I just did boy things. I liked hunting. I liked guns, always have. And I was really fortunate to have a dad that was super awesome and, and just let me kind of do what I wanted to do and encouraged all of those things. So going into my 20s, I started working with a nonprofit conservation group called Safari Club International. And I worked up the like chain of command in my local chapter, if you will, and became president of a chapter and went to DC and did some lobbying with them on behalf of hunters rights mm-hmm. kind of representing my state and my community. And things just kind of snowballed from there. I co-hosted the Rock Milk Foundation uh, team milk TV show for, I think six seasons, and then eventually launched my own series, which now I'm hosting. It's a digital show called pursue the wild. It's airing on carbon TV, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And then I now also have a podcast called the wild and uncut podcast. So that's, that's kind of what I do. It's been a, a very interesting journey. Yeah. No <laughs> that's kidding. Kind of a long winded answer for it. And when did you like kind of start to get into the industry? Would you say? 
Well, when I started like doing the volunteer aspect, I was in my 20s, early 20s. And I think I'm to this day, the youngest president of an ESCI chapter wow. in their history. So I was extremely young and there's so much I wanted to learn, whether it be, you know, handgun training or GPS navigation or survival skills. And so I started just organizing some really cool things for my community, for my chapter that I had an interest in learning. And it just kind of built from there. And what really got me into guns was I had a buddy who was like super honest with me. And he's like, Christy, I know you really love hunting and you're super great in the back country, but you really suck at shooting. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, thank you. Okay. Cause I did. And you know, obviously I still have room for improvement in a, in a lot of um, capacities, but I started training and I did a lot of long range training with Magpul and Magpul Corps. And they were really awesome and spent years supporting me and, worked with them and and got involved with NRA and I did tips and tactics for NRA women TV and, and just, it's just grown over the last 20 years. Wow. That's amazing. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around, okay, so you're good at hunting. Obviously you, you know, you point the gun in a certain direction, you're hitting your target, but yet you weren't that great with shooting. So was he meaning more just like, I mean, obviously there is difference. There's, there is a difference, but can you explain that for listeners? Like what that difference might be for those who are like, well, what do you mean? I mean, obviously you're able to hit your target. Yeah. So when I grew up hunting, my dad taught me how to shoot and I shot off the bench and I'd shoot, you know, 20, 30 rounds a year. I'd shoot out to 250 yards and I'd grab my gun and, you know, we'd go hunting and I had some really bad fundamental habits, you know, with flinching and jerking the trigger. And I didn't know how to shoot off shooting sticks. And I, you know, wasn't very efficient at building a field expedient, like shooting position where, you know, I'd end up in a situation where I'm hunting and have no idea how to build a solid rest and didn't understand ballistics. And, you know, if I had for example, I was on a TV show filming one time and I had a cow elk at 400 yards and I was like, man, I, I can't shoot this animal because I, the guide really was pressuring me to hold like top of back. Mm-hmm. So just hold the top of its back and shoot. And I'm like, dude, I'm not, there's other elk behind it and other animals around. And I just felt like ethically, like I, I didn't want to take that shot because what if my bullet hit one of these other animals that it's not intended? And yeah. I, you know, I felt a tremendous responsibility and I just decided, you know, if I'm going to be an effective hunter and an ethical hunter. It, I mean, my job is to put that bullet where it needs to go to, to humanely, you know, kill an animal mm-hmm. and quickly. And so I decided I, I wanted to get some training and I needed it. You know, there's, there's a lot of guys and I say guys as a general term, because it's typically who takes young hunters out or I, well, when I was growing up, maybe not so much anymore, but, um, that, you know, they'll hand a gun to someone and they're like, here, shoot it. It's zeroed. And the eye relief is all wonky and the gun <laughs> doesn't fit the shooter. Yeah. And the person that's picking up the gun doesn't have any clue why they aren't getting a clear sight picture and they're getting frustrated yeah. and they get scoped or, you know, whatever. So I just really wanted to learn how to be more proficient and, and confidently be able to have point of aim, point of impact accuracy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that actually makes perfect sense. So when I was kind of just telling you briefly before the show started that, you know, I only shot my first animal a year ago, which was an alligator. And I had to go the next day uh, because we didn't find any alligators the first day. 
And well, we did, but they were like small. And so sure enough, I wasn't able to bring my gun because something something happened with my gun. But the guy's like, oh, it's okay. I have a gun in the back. I didn't know if it was zeroed in. I was just like, man, this sucks. This isn't even my gun. I didn't have any time behind the trigger the day before. And I'm like, let's just pray that it's going to work. And thankfully it was like I I got like a very accurate shot, but it is kind of iffy. So I totally can understand that. It just made it to me like if I'm going to be a hunter, I want to yes. be the ethical one I can be. And and when I take a shot, I want to know exactly where I it's can... going. Well, not even just that. It's, you know, sometimes things go wrong. I mean, that's just the way life is. Mm-hmm. Things don't always go according to plan. But I want to know that I've done everything I can to prepare my firearm, have the best ammo choice, and done everything with my own training to give that animal the most humane death mm-hmm. that I can get. You know, and give it the most respect that I can with the ending of its life. Like I want to make sure that that moment that I can live with myself at the end of it, that I've done everything to make it clean in something that, you know, I'm proud of. Yeah, definitely. And you know, what's weird is you don't really hear too many, not to say like men and female or, you know, to separate us, but you don't hear too many men hunters saying that as much. Oh, I get super emotional when I hunt, you know. I don't know how many times I've cried because I'm so thankful or, you know, you just, for me, it's a very emotional experience taking an animal's life. And, you know, they do make a sacrifice for us every time we Mm -hmm. we press the trigger, whether it's on a bow or a gun. And that's something to be respected for sure. Uh, Yeah. Well, I had nightmares leading up to my hunt and then even after. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Because you were feeling a little guilty about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then also because I wasn't raised around it. And so if you don't grow up with hunting, I feel like it's just one of those things. And then I actually, so I interviewed people. I went to the, what was it like the safari, safari in Dallas, safari land. Dallas safari club. Yes. And so I went there, interviewed a bunch of people and learned so much about conservation, but the average person doesn't really know much about this. And so you're just thinking like, oh, you're just hurting that poor innocent animal or taking that animal's life. And it could have lived a happier life. And really, I mean, you are kind of doing it a favor to a degree. And, and as long as it's, you know, you're, it's not going to waste, you're not doing it for just like trophies. But yeah, I had so many mixed feelings. Select, you were selective hunting. You were looking for an animal that had reached a level of maturity in its Mm -hmm. life. It's had a chance to breed. It's fully grown. It's lived out its reproductive cycle and you're selectively harvesting that animal. And that is part of the beauty of the circle of life because it, it continues your circle. And I'm sure you ate it. Did you like the alligator? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fried. So anything fried tastes pretty good. It's going to be good. And then the skin, I should be getting a call any day, actually. It should be done because somebody else that I went on the trip with, their skin is finished. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but I'm definitely going to keep it. But did you have it dyed or did you do natural? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if I think right now it's just like it's still it's still airing out. If that makes sense, like would they dye it right away? Yeah, the, you probably just had it tanned natural because sometimes they can like dye the hide. Yeah. And so make it I was actually told that the natural is harder to do and the dye is easier. Huh. I, yeah, I have no idea. I, yeah. And it essentially turns white when it dries out. Wow. I don't know. But I'm like, you know, that's actually a good question. I should probably call and find out like, hey, so what should I be expecting when I get it delivered? (laughs) What color did I choose? (laughs) Or 
where am I supposed to put this thing? Well, you know, the thing is, is you're in Colorado. So there's still some custom like leather and saddle shops there. Mm -hmm. You can take it down and have it like made into an awesome bag. There's a lot of really cute like boutiques that do custom bags and boots. And I mean, yeah, yeah, the sky's the limit. Yeah. So I'm curious, like when you first started hunting, what was it that you hunted? Growing up, it was just deer and elk mostly. Um, My first hunt that I did, first animal I harvested was an elk, a cow elk. Um, But it was, for my family, it was a means of eating. Like my dad was in the logging industry and my mom was a waitress and she worked nights. And I grew up eating elk steak and macaroni and cheese every night because my dad was the cook when my mom was working. And so for us, it wasn't like a sport. It was how we lived, Mm -hmm. you know, we hunted to eat and it's still that way. Yeah. Love it. What about as far as cooking it? Is there anything that you'd recommend? Like, cause I've noticed, like I've tasted all kinds of different meats, but the only thing I don't like about eating meat that you, you know, get when you hunt is it has like that wild game taste to it. It can. So it depends on the species too. Like, okay. Personally, I have found like rutting mule deer in late November, Mm -hmm. they can be stinky and a little flavor robust. Mm -hmm. Um, With those, I'll mix them into sausages like bratwurst or Italian sausages. I like to do something to basically disguise that kind of more gamey taste that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. White-tailed deer, and my favorite really is elk, but I just harvested an axis deer last week in mm-hmm. Hawaii. And that thing is some of the best game meat I've ever had. So I would say it just depends on the animal, mm-hmm. depends what they're eating. It depends where they're at in their breeding cycle because they taste different depending on the hormones that are in their body. Yeah. That um, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I love shooting wild pigs and there's a lot of people that are, you know, not pig fans, but I, I kill at least one pig a year just because I like making sausages. Hmm. That's weird. Cause I've also heard that with the wild pigs, like the big boars and stuff that like are, you know, South of the U S that they're like, you don't eat it. With that, it depends on what you take. Okay. Um, and if you, if you take something, I mean, there's obviously meat grade pigs and then yeah. pigs that like breeding pigs. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. There's some, the littler ones are going to be better to eat yeah. and the bigger ones are going to be not as great to eat. But like I shot a pig in Sweden two summers ago. And I normally for a pulled pork, I have to do like 12 hours at cooks. Mm -hmm. This sow was so old after 12 hours, the meat still wouldn't pull apart. It took 24 hours of boiling before it would pull and it finally pulled, but it was like chewy. (laughs) The flavor was okay, but I mean, it just depends on the age of the animal. I mean, there's so much variable to it. I'm assuming you've traveled like all over the world then to go hunting. What are some of your favorite places that you've been to? I like mountain hunting. For me, I like being in places that very few have walked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Canada is one of my favorite places in the world just because you can hunt what a lot of people call virgin ground where, you know, man really has never been. And I love being in the mountains and backpacking and being in really remote country. Mm-hmm. So that's really where my heart is, is mountain hunting. I love it. And if I had to pick one hunt to do for the rest of my life, it would probably be archery elk hunting. 
just because I like calling ilk and that interaction and that intimacy you have with the animal during that time. But, you know, that's also some degree of mountain hunting, but it's not the same as like a caribou or a sheep or something like that. Mm -hmm. A stupid question, but why is it parts of Canada are, are sort of like untouched? Is hunting just not as common in Canada or is there just so much more mountains? Or? There's no people. Okay. It's just like, you know, if you go to Northwest Territories, there's no people. It's uninhabited. There's no roads. So if you fly into Norman Wells, there's a few roads around where the airport is. And then beyond that, it's completely roadless. And wow. I mean, it's just literally untouched ground. There are some places, you know, Southern BC is really inhabited. There's a lot of logging roads and a lot of access. So it depends where you go. Mm -hmm. But the farther you go north, the more remote it tends to be. Hmm. How interesting. Let's talk about Pursue the Wild. So it's in its fifth season now. Tell me a little bit about the show. So yeah, I'm filming this year, 2022, I'm filming season six. And it's a combination of big game hunting and then also some shooting sports. So I'll usually film like a long range rifle match that I shoot. Like last year, I, I filmed a couple NRL hunter matches. Like I shot an NRL hunter match and then I went pig hunting in California. It was really fun and made that an episode. So I do kind of try to incorporate the two and show the symbiosis between you know, being a better marksman with a rifle and, and even with a bow. This year I'm shooting the total archery challenge with a bow and then we're going to film that for an episode. So it's primarily hunting and then shooting sports centered. Nice. And you get to choose whatever you want to show for that episode. Yeah. That's the cool thing when you own your own um, production company and yeah. your own like deal, like I can do what I want, you know, and I try to pick things to film and interact and do that I find interesting mm -hmm. um, with people that I think are interesting. Yeah. That's definitely beats like your fake reality TV that you would typically see on TV, right? Where yeah, everything's yeah. like, okay, this is how it's going to be. You're going to act like this. And it, it's like, oh, and it, infuriates me how caught up people get with reality TV. And I'm like, you guys know it's not real, right? Like most of it's planned ahead. <laughs> it just, it drives me nuts. I, I married a foreign guy. He's from Europe. And my mom and my sister got hooked on 90 Day Fiance. And they watched that <laughs> stuff. It is insane. They're like, for two years, this has been going on. I'm like, okay, I can't keep up with this. I can't do it. Right. <laughs> this is not real. I know. I'm going to take a quick break. Talk about primary arms. Primary Arms just added a bunch of new gear to their line. I know I typically talk about their optics, but I do have to just talk about, you know, some of the bags and accessories that they just launched. So they have expandable backpacks in the colors black FDE, OD green, multicam, black multicam, gray, all that good stuff. Great for hiking or carrying for travel. They're only $54.99. They also added two point slings in the same colors that I just listed for the bags at $14.99. IFAC first aid pouches, $29.99 and kits to fill them for $89.99. They also just came out with gun cleaning kits for $34.99. They're really expanding their accessory line, so I'd highly recommend check them out. And as always, if you find a primary arms optic that you want, use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, and you're going to get a free one-piece scope mount with every primary arms optic, and that is at primaryarms.com. What have you been up to recently? 
Well, I was just in Hawaii and we did a access deer hunt there. And then I last weekend was archery turkey hunting with my husband. So lots of hunting. And then we're in the middle of moving. So, <laughs> and, and um, I'm going to shoot the Hornady zombie match at the end of May. I'm going to NRA. And then I'm shooting an extreme long range rifle match in Wyoming, an ELR match there with Night Force. Oh, nice. So when you say extreme long range, what's the distance for that? So I've actually never shot one. This will be my first match. So I'm I'm coming at this from a super novice place. I'm going to shoot. My understanding is targets are, you know, probably 800 to 1600, 2000 yards, depending, you know, it's a belly match. So you're on your stomach a lot. And so we'll see see how that goes. Yeah. I'm going to shoot a Ruger precision rifle. I've got a a chambered one chambered in 300 PRC. So I went out to Georgia and I did a little bit of training with Sean Murphy and Greg Hamilton there. And, um, I'm not ready for it. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm going to get schooled, but that's one thing I love about a gun is there's so much to learn with Mm -hmm. every discipline of firearms and they're so humbling. Mm -hmm. Like, and the more I learn, the more I want to learn. And, and it's just, it's a never ending cycle. It's super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it comes to long range shooting, that is like an entire like different animal in itself. Yeah. It's just the targets are really far, you know, and you have all kinds but of, but then you also uh, have to math, which I freaking hate math. And yeah, you know, the math isn't bad. Your Kestrel does that for you. you yeah, know? Like, that's true. That's true. You have to be somewhat smart because you have to like, true your data at yeah. distance and but a lot of it you know once you're once your data is good a lot of it's math and wind yeah that's true i'm actually I'm doing a long range shooting and a reloading class in 2 weeks in arizona and i'm excited for that just to see like what to learn and then especially with reloading cuz i don't have any experience with reloading but you Ingo, know i wish i wish i was doing that with you yeah because so when you with the long distance shooting a lot of these like you know, pro shooters, they'll obviously load their own ammo because they'll like try to get like a little, you know, an edge on the competition. Absolutely. Well, your standard deviation and your ammo is everything. Yeah. Like, if your deviations are low, you're more accurate. Who are you doing the class with? Uh, it's with Caldwell and Frankfurt Arsenal. Nice. And actually, if you're free in two weeks, I might be able to want me to ask them if they want to take on somebody else. Yeah, shoot me dates because I'm supposed to be moving in two weeks. Okay. I mean, whatever. You could have your husband do it. That's what husbands are for, right? <laughs> Move the three semi loads of my stuff. <laughs> I definitely I feel you with the moving because anybody who's following, you know, the show, you guys know I'm having a house built in August. And even last night, I'm like, okay, how am I doing this? Am I going to because I've decided I'm just gonna sell my house. Originally I was gonna rent it out. I just don't want to be bothered. And I feel like the market you know, this market's not going to last forever, especially with interest rates now going up. I'm like, I'm just going to sell it. But do I sell it first? What am I doing with my stuff? You know, like I just I'm starting to think this and I'm dreading it. It's a miserable experience. Yeah. Really <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very joyous time of life to have a transition and a life change is exciting. But moving is not fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then just like like you and I, like we both have things going on. I have events going on around August. So I'm like, well, who knows what my moving date is going to be, but I do know that I have this event. I, why did I shine up for like that shooting class? And <laughs> there's just so much stuff that I'm like, I don't know why I, you know, said that I was available for that class or that event or whatever. 
Because it is going to be kind of, you know, and just like you, like you're probably going to be all over the place while still recording content. Oh, it's yeah, it never ends, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, luckily I take my job with me. Yeah. So that makes it helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Is Ruger one of your main sponsors for the show? Yeah. So I have quite a good number of partners that I work with, but Ruger's one on the firearm side, Night Force, Hornady. Silencer Central. I just signed with them. I'm really excited to start. Oh, nice. So Uh, I have a, I have a friend that just got a job there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, hunting suppressed is legal in 40 States. And so it's just people, you know, there's a big misconception. It's really hard to get a suppressor and they make it so easy. I mean, they deliver them to your door. If you live in one of the 42 States, you can own them. So I'm really excited about that. And then I also work with Allen company who's the world's largest manufacturer of gunslings and cases. Um, and they make targets and all kinds of stuff. So that's kind of, you know, uh, on the gun side, a lot of, you know, my close partners. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Any hunts on your bucket list that you haven't gotten to do yet? Oh, I have so many hunts on my bucket list. It's not even funny. I have, I want to get a slam of sheep. So I have in 2025 booked a fan and ram in the Northwest Territory, well, it's not Northwest Territory, it's the Yukon, excuse me. And then I'm, I'm trying to book a brown bear hunt next year. And I, and I want to try to do it with a bow. Oh, wow. So I shoot for bear archery and I just think it would be really cool to shoot a brown bear with a bear bow. <laughs> so what is that? So let's talk about that a little bit more because I was under the assumption. And again, I don't know anything really about hunting, but I was under the assumption that I mean, I guess it makes sense that you could shoot it with a bow, but you would typically think that you're like, ah, there's just not enough like you need. I mean, especially when people ask me, you know, for gun recommendations and they're like, well, you know, it's for hiking. It's mostly for like mountain lions or something or bears. And you're like, "Okay, well, you need probably a 10 millimeter, like a much larger caliber. And so you would think as far as like bows with their fur and their like really thick skin. Yeah, it's well for someone my size, it's it can be a real challenge because I only have a twenty six inch draw length and draw length, and I'm five foot three, so it is a lot harder challenge for me to overcome versus a standard size man that mm-hmm. has a twenty eight or thirty inch draw length. Draw length is your big component of getting velocity, mm-hmm. um, and so with a bear, a big bear like that, you know, you have to think of your arrow in flight as either you're throwing a ping pong ball or a softball. When it hits the wall, if you have a super light arrow, you know, ping pong ball just kind of bounces off, right? At Mm -hmm. the same speed. But if you're throwing a softball and it hits hard, you know, it's going to leave a hole, Mm -hmm. you know, going to do some damage. And so you want heavy arrows in flight, which you have to have a lot more draw length and draw poundage to get that speed or velocity with that. So it is a little bit more of a challenge. I'll have to work up my draw poundage a bit, but it's very doable. Other women have done it. Like Nicole Reeve, uh, she killed a brown bear with her bow. And so it's definitely a doable thing. You, you have to put a lot of research into it and, you know, they got to be close, like mm-hmm. real close, mm-hmm. like 30 yards or under. And, you know, you're talking a giant mammal that can exactly eat. that's what I was just thinking I was like it's, oh 30 yards no big deal <laughs> well I'm or less I mean yeah I mean, that's, that's the no but like if I go there and we're just not getting close and we just don't get the right shot because I won't take a shot yeah if it could marginalize the expectancy of our life yeah so if I don't get the right shot I mean ultimately I'm not going to be that I'm not such a purist with my bow that I would be too proud to pick up my rifle and mm-hmm. be like hey the smart decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. 
and I was like joking with the whole 30 yards thing, because if you've seen any like videos on how quickly they run, I mean, for them being so big and just like, I mean, they can definitely cover some ground really quickly. Yeah. And they're not afraid of eating people. So it's it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. They're a very big animal, but that's kind of one of my big dreams. But I'm also, I was supposed to go leopard hunting this year, but my husband's immigration status has kind of put the kibosh on that. So we're going to, we're doing a leopard hunt next year, which is a pretty big dream of mine. But there's so many things that, you know, I want to do in the world. But mostly, if I had to pick one thing that I would want more than anything in the next two years is I'd love to see my dad kill a big bull elk with his bow. Yeah. Because that would mean more to him than anything. Mm-hmm. It in turn would mean more to me than anything as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Does your dad, is he able to go on a lot of the hunts with you? No, he's, my dad likes to work, but he hunts with me at least once a year. He likes to bow hunt elk. And so he makes time for that. And, and we go do that. But, you know, he's just had a kind of a rough string of luck with me the last couple of years on some hunts. And I'd really love to see my dad get an arrow in a, in a big bull elk. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Let's talk about, so your podcast, it's wild and uncut. Yeah. Tell us about the show and how is it going? How, when did you start the podcast? I started airing last fall. Uh, I think it was like, I don't even remember in September, I think. So the concept for me behind the podcast is, is that, you know, we're in the wild. So it's a, it has a video aspect of it. So I air the video component on YouTube and my Facebook channel. The audio component is on carbon TV and then anywhere else you like download, but they're all shot like on location. So I'm face to face with someone. So if we're in hunting camp or at a trade show and it's a lot of it is, you know, recap Mm -hmm. of encounters or situations, or, you know, we've done a shooting school and we're now talking about, you know, shooting school, or we just shot a competition and we talk about the competition and kind of break down, you know, takeaways. And so it's, it's supposed to be, you know, just kind of an unfiltered recap or, or, you know, kind of frank discussion with, with someone I'm, you know, face to face with somewhere in the world. Nice. I love it. Yeah, and it's fun. and it's how fun. often do you put out a podcast? I do a new podcast every other Thursday. Wow. That's pretty crazy. I mean, especially the fact that there's video and you're doing it face to face. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a, and then I do every Monday and either an episode or a, a short film like tip tactic, that kind of thing. So every Monday I have a new piece of content that comes out for the pursue the wild side, whether it being an episode or a tips from the wild, I call them, which a lot of that's new gear reviews, information, stuff like that. And then every other Thursday I do the podcast. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. That's why people are always like, you know, why don't you offer video? And I'm like, yeah, listen, my schedule is just too hectic right now. I mean, I don't want to have to be like, I don't know. And and it's also, it's nice that it's pre-recorded. So I can always like record, you know, pre-record some shows if I know I'm going to be gone for like the next two weeks or something. And I could do that. Like I pre-record or binge record like it shows. Yeah. Like, you know, if, like I went to Sheep Show. I went to SHOT Show this year. I did SCI and I pre-recorded Hunt Expo. I pre-recorded, you know, a bunch of podcasts at those events where you have a concentration of interesting people. Yeah. Um, 
the problem is, is at those events, everybody's so busy. Yeah, I know. It's really hard to get people to break away to go do a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Franklin Armory. There's a name that you haven't really heard too much on the show before, other than when I had Charlie from Franklin Armory on the show a few episodes ago. Well, I'm excited to announce that they are now the newest sponsor of the show. They're going to be with us for the next six months, hopefully longer. I just fell in love with their products. I'll admit, you know, I think figure I've been shooting now for nine years and over time, especially when you do this for a living, you're just like, oh, okay, I mean, that was cool. But like, there's not a lot that like gets you excited anymore that, you know, I mean, shooting guns definitely feels like work, which I never thought that I'd say that. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are rolling your eyes right now, listening to me say that. But when I put the binary trigger from Franklin Armory in my AR, I got to say, like, I felt like I was a new shooter again. Like I was just like excited about shooting. I was determined to get it down because there's like a rhythm kind of to it. There's, you know, at first there's like a little bit of a learning curve. Binary triggers, totally legal, by the way. They actually have specific approval from ATF. It's not like a force reset trigger that the ATF's trying to go after right now. Binary mode basically means that when you pull the trigger, it fires around. And then when you release the trigger, it releases another round. You can actually put, if you didn't want to release that second round, you can put it on safe and then it'll cancel it out and it won't shoot that second round. But once you get it going and you want to shoot it really fast in binary mode, like I said, you kind of have to get into this like a rhythm and, and there's a learning curve. And I was just, all I wanted to do was just like shoot all day until I like figured out exactly how to like perfect it. So lots of fun. Right now they have their BFS III 3 AR-C1 trigger on sale and it's $386.99. But you may remember from when Charlie was a guest on the show. So if you use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, you are going to get 10% off your entire order. That's everything on their website except for the guns. Really good deal. I would highly recommend it. They make them for all kinds of guns and Actually, one thing that I couldn't figure out for the longest time is you're going to see a C or an S at the end of like the AR triggers. It stands for curved or straight. There's that so that you don't spend 15 minutes trying to figure it out like I did. And their website is franklinarmory.com. Chrissy, does your husband, does he help you with a lot of these hunts and stuff? Does he go with you or does he have his own thing going on? So we've been married uh, just a year. <laughs> like we're super newlyweds. Uh, but my husband, he owns a booking agency, JR Hunting. And so he's, you know, total international traveler, extraordinaire hunting guru guy. And the last year he did quite a bit of hunting with me. But I mean, historically, I've always just gone you know, since the show myself and a cameraman, but now, now that my husband's in the picture and I'm married, he does a lot more traveling with me, which is awesome. He did a lot of camera work for me last fall. Cause like when you're hunting whitetail, for example, and you're sitting 20 feet up a tree, mm-hmm. you know, you can only have two people up there. And, yeah. and so it was just easier for us to do it together. Yeah. It's a great experience when, you know, we're out there in the woods together and it's very meaningful. Yeah. That's awesome because so I only just met you at the Gundy's and 
I met you when we went on just a little excursion and there was somebody that worked there at Drive Tanks and she took us around showing us all the animals. And I actually, I didn't know who you were at first. And, but I noticed that you and your husband, you're like, oh, and that's that kind of animal and that's that. And, oh, what does it cost to shoot that one? And blah, blah. And like, I noticed that you guys had a ton of knowledge about animals. And I was like, oh, there's a different name for that. I just thought it was like a deer you know, or I just found out what an, an access is an access yeah. deer. Yeah. I had no idea that that was the name, but I was like thinking that, yeah, you guys were like super knowledgeable. And then obviously later on when I realized who I was riding with and I was like, oh, okay, that's why you guys know all that. <laughs> well, I just want to say I brought the wine and so we had a great time. That was yeah. really fun. <laughs> the wine, the wine was definitely. I brought the wine. That was spot on. It, it was. But, uh, No, my husband's been, he's booked in Africa that, you know, it's a giant continent. So there's a lot of countries in Africa and he's been to a lot of them. I have only been to two countries in Africa. So my experience there is much more limited than his. He's got an extensive experience, you know, you know, with like the animals. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause yeah, I mean, when you're at drive tanks, that's what it feels like is it's almost like you're in Africa, just a little bit colder. Yeah. It, yeah. It was a little chilly. We had coats on, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't no, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I loved it so much and just being around all the animals and stuff. And like, it felt like you're kind of in Africa. Yeah. They had a great variety. It blew my mind that we got to pet the rhinos like that seriously made my life. Yeah. They were super awesome, super tame, came up, let us pet all over them. And that was an experience I didn't think I'd ever have. You don't mess with rhinos yeah. in Africa because they will run you over. It, they're very aggressive. Well, especially black rhinos are really aggressive. So you tend to avoid them, you know, in a typical safari setting. And obviously they're extremely protected as well. So it was just neat to have that intimate encounter there and mm-hmm. get to be around animals that, you know, you've really only maybe even seen in a, you know, TV or whatever. I know. And it's actually, I mean, it's hard to believe, but to think like maybe in the future, you know, other generations may not have the opportunity to even see a rhino. Yeah. You know, hunters are funding anti-poaching efforts. And and one of the things that's great about hunters is, you know, without, <laughs> without us going to Africa, their anti-poaching would not have funding. And that's a tough conversation. A lot of people don't understand because they're not used to they're used to America where we have so much public land and, and animals can roam free. Mm-hmm. It's not like that everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in having people that follow rules and follow laws is not like that everywhere in the world. And so hunting and hunters really, we, you know, we pay for patrolling and put a lot of effort out to protect those animals so that they will be here for future generations. Yeah. Love it. I am going to start doing a little bit more hunting here, hopefully this year, What advice would you have for me and anybody else who's thinking about getting into hunting? Well, I think it's, I think it's good to find a group of like, like-minded people that you can learn from. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I always tell people to join a conservation group, um, whether it be Safari Club or like a Elk Foundation chapter or Mule Deer Foundation or NWTF, or just find a nonprofit club in your area because there's going to be people there be people there that love hunting and they're going to be willing to share information with you mm-hmm. um, and it's also going to draw you into the world of conservation and and really the ethos behind being a hunter which is is a lot of that is is 
conservation because hunters funded and started the North American model in the 30s. So it, gun owners actually pay for most of it, to be honest with you, through PR dollars. But hunters and gun owners are fueling that. And I think if you can get around people that embrace hunting, that's a good start. And then like for you, there's several camps too. Like there's the Northwest ladies hunting camp. There's the Wyoming women's antelope hunt. There's beyond or becoming a bow hunter beyond bow hunter. I can't remember the name of it exactly. There's several organizations specific to women mm -hmm. to really help them, you know, learn some new skills which I think is, is very valuable. But I think the best thing you can do is for me, in my opinion, is, is get training with your firearm and, and understand how to properly mount an optic, where your eye relief is supposed to be, mm -hmm. learn how to build a good shooting position, understand your limitations, your firearm limitations. So when you get out in the field, you have a very, you feel very confident in that moment when you're, when your adrenaline's really high to make a shot and you feel good about it and uh, you feel prepared. And yeah. I think a lot of that is a mental aspect. That's super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all great advice. And I, even as you were just saying that, like, you know, know what you can do, like what your firearms capable of doing, which I mean, my firearm, it was, I mean, it was the, the same exact gun that I had. It just wasn't mine that I dialed in, but you could, I, I put it on, I made a YouTube video of me shooting the alligator and in the audio, my breath, because I have a mic on me, but my breath's like, <sighs> you know, like I'm just so like, okay, here I am. I'm about to squeeze the trigger, uh, you know, because your adrenaline does rush. And I was with Brandon Herrera, the AK guy, the day before, because they put us together. And honestly, in hindsight, I probably should have just went first, but I was like, no, you go first, because I just wanted to see, I wanted to see and observe first and then like have my, you know, my chance to do it. And well, what we need to do is you do some gun training with me and then I'll take you hunting. That's what we need to do. And yes, do we should. That would be that perfect. Would be yeah. Fun. But so when Brandon got his, like he, you know, he's all shaking and he's like, oh my God. And I was like, I think I was like shaking for him. So then when I got it, when it was my turn, I was like, I feel nothing. Like right after the shot. And then I saw the alligator, like we pulled it out of the water and then I was like, okay, I would have thought it'd be a little more like, I was like, okay, I did it. Okay. But I think it's because the day before all my energy and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, Brandon, are you okay? Uh, you got the alligator. Uh, you know, I mean, it is a lot. Like, it's just, it's so many different emotions that I also, you know, if I had to tell a new shooter and obviously I'm still a new shooter, I'm not <laughs> in any position to give advice, but you do experience so many different emotions. Yeah. And there's different degrees of fight or flight. And I, and I did this thing at the well-armed woman last year and they had a speaker come in and she talked about different zones of fight or flight mm -hmm. and you lose different cognitive abilities in different zones from dexterity of being able to insert a magazine or rack a bowl or yeah. to becoming incoherent and losing your memory, blacking out. Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff actually happens when you're hunting too. So I always try to be really mindful if someone's a new shooter or a new hunter that like, if I say, okay, you can take the shot, like have them acknowledge back to certain things. Mm -hmm. um, you hear that. Can you repeat back? Because if they don't, a lot of times you're talking and they don't even hear you. Like they're in blackout mode. Huh. I didn't even think like, about I've that, but that makes they're like, they're like, man, I wish I would have known how far that was. I didn't know how far I'm like, man, I told you it was da da da, you know, 400 yards or 200 yards or whatever. And, and they, but they blacked out or became incoherent and it happens. Yeah. Interesting. That makes perfect sense though. Also known as buck fever. Huh? Okay. 
<laughs> but you didn't get it. So that's awesome. I mean, yeah, but so maybe it, maybe it did help, though, that I saw Brandon shoot the alligator first and then the next day I did mine, you know. Maybe. Sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. You know what I mean? Sometimes I get super amped up. Like this year we had white tail running and they were running and I was shaking so bad with excitement. I had to stand up and lock out my legs because I was shaking the whole stand. But then there's yeah. other times I can break a shot and animal goes down and I'm like, woohoo, did it. And it's pretty calm. You yeah. know, it, it depends. You know, you'll have you'll have those days. If you keep hunting, you'll have that day where you're like, bah, I just lost my shit. This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Huh. Interesting. I'm so excited. Okay. And then one last thing before we wrap it up. So I just have to know. So like when you, let's say you kill a deer and this is something that I didn't realize until like a few years ago, but you have to dress it like within, what is it like an hour or two? Otherwise the meat actually rots. What is that like? I mean, it's like one thing to like kill something, but then another to be like, okay, well now we have to skin it and basically get it all. And then I would imagine like, so when going back to like, when you said you were in Canada and there's not even roads, so pretty much everything's on foot. So how do you get that animal? Like, do you just carry as much as you possibly can back with you? I I'm, well, I don't know. I have all the questions. Multiple trips. Uh-huh. So like I have a really cool video I did on my YouTube channel that has almost 6 million views. It's insane. And it's on the gutless field dressing method. And so it, it shows in the video, I shot a deer and it shows me break down the whole deer from being intact down to just the carcass where I stripped the flesh, the meat um, off the carcass and put it in my backpack and we packed it out. So it just, uh, the answer to that would be depend. Like if you shoot a whitetail in the Midwest, chances are you're going to get a quad or a four wheeler or, you know, side by side or pickup truck and go load it whole and take it back and gut it out in, yeah. you know, somewhere um, not in the field necessarily. Yeah. You're on an elk hunt or a deer hunt in in the mountains or in the back country. You know you have to break that animal down. So you know ideally you want to get the meat cool and and get it ventilating as quickly as possible. So air surface is important around the meat. So a lot of people, you know, the bones keep and hold a lot of heat. So getting meat off the bone and you know you hang it in a tree or in the shade to get air surface and airflow around the meat to get it to cool off quickly so that it you know stays stays good Interesting. and it just depends you know the time of year too i mean if you shoot a deer in the evening and you lose it and it's november and it's minus 10 outside your meat's probably fine the next day yeah um, if you shoot an elk in archery elk season and it's 90 degrees and it gets down to 65 at night and you find it midday the next day eh, might not be okay yeah so it just depends on, you know, the time of year you're hunting and how many hours after harvest and all of that stuff. So, and then where your shot placement is too. So, hmm. okay. But ideally, you know, you process it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's something that I'm going to have to work on because I can't even like get chicken from the, the grocery store and cook it. Like it grosses me out. I don't even like to mess with it. Yeah. And it's not for everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, in some of the things I tell people too, like my mom supports hunting, but she's not a hunter. Um, and she's an important component of, of my success and my dad's success and is always supportive cooking for us and giving us a nice hot meal when we come home and cooking stuff for us when we take in the back country, but it's not for her. And maybe, maybe it's not for you, you know, but at least you're willing to get out there and try it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, when I do experience it, I want to experience the full thing. So even though I'm like, these hangups about meat, like I want to 
get the full on experience. I don't want to just like kill a deer and be like, all right, cool. Well, we're going, we're leaving, you know, like, okay, there's, we'll donate the deer really to somebody. About it. Like it's like the piece of steak that you pull out of the cellophane, just yeah. imagine being hide. I mean, yeah. it's the same. It's, it's literally the same thing. Instead of peeling cellophane off a, off of a styrofoam container, you're just pulling the hide off of it. I mean, yeah. it, it's the same process. It just has a different outward appearance. Hmm. Okay. All right. And then I know you kind of already filled us in on future plans, but is there anything else that you haven't mentioned that you want to share with listeners? No, I just, I hope everybody goes out and checks out my series and you know watches Pursue the Wild. You can go to my website, pursuethewild.com and just check it out. Listen to the podcast and yeah, just appreciate all of you and your time and, and thank you for inviting me on. And I'm excited, you know, if you guys are going to, anybody's going to NRA, I'll be at NRA. If anybody's going to uh, total archery challenge, I'll be in Utah in big sky, Montana this year and be at the zombie match and the Hornady, excuse me, the night force ELR match. So if anybody's shooting those, you know, come say hi. Okay, cool. And then also just on social media, where else can they follow you? You mentioned your your website, podcast, and then what yeah, is my your... Yeah, just my name, at Christy Titus, so K-R-I-S-T-Y-T-I-T-U-S. Okay, perfect. And then, Christy, I know you're super busy, so I'm not going to keep you for the rest of the show, but I do appreciate your time. And then I will hopefully see you at NRA. Yeah, no, we should for sure connect at NRA. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, maybe I'll bring my podcast stuff and we can shoot one of mine there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Moving forward with the rest of the show, Caldwell. So if you guys want to up your game on the range, definitely check out the Target Turner from Caldwell. It's basically a target stand with the capability to rotate the target by 90 degrees quickly. You can set how fast it turns, so it's perfect for interactive shoot-no-shoot training or just friendly competition. It comes with a reusable target backer and works with all IDPA, IPSC, and action pistol cardboard targets as well. It collapses into a carry bag for transport and runs off eight AA batteries for eight hours. So you can pretty much bring it wherever you want. They're only $114.99 at caldwellshooting.com. Remember to use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word, and that's going to get you 10% off your entire order. Today in politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? Florida Agriculture Commissioner suing ATF. Florida's Agriculture Commissioner, Nikki Fried, Fried, is a bit of enigma. She's the only Democrat elected to statewide office, and she's running for governor against popular Ron DeSantis if she can make it through a tight Democratic Party. Her position is unique in that her office oversees Florida's concealed weapon and firearms licensing program. She's also a former lobbyist for the cannabis industry. She has said publicly that she possesses both a concealed carry permit and has a medical marijuana card, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because here in Colorado, marijuana is legal. However, if you have your medical marijuana card, you cannot get your concealed carry permit. There's a loophole to that. And I think I've said this on the show before. So, you know, like any laws, there's loopholes. You would let your medical marijuana card expire. Then you would apply for your concealed carry permit. Get that once you have it in hand, then go and apply for your medical marijuana card again. I don't know if the states have similar laws or they could be complete opposite. 
But if that is the case, then I don't know. She kind of technically broke the law by doing that. But okay, that's neither here nor there. Florida is one of 37 states that have legalized medical marijuana, which is so crazy. I mean, I just remember just yesterday, Colorado is the first state to legalize it. A 4473 form asks gun purchasers if they are an unlawful drug user, which cannabis is still considered illegal under federal law and lying on the form is a felony. Even though I live in Colorado and recreational marijuana is legal, I still can't partake because I am a federal farms license holder. Still, national law supersedes state law. Freed is suing the Biden-Harris administration, the ATF, and Attorney General Merrick Garland over the cannabis prohibition on the 4473, claiming it violates the Second Amendment rights of lawful cannabis users. She is bringing the lawsuit officially as the state's agriculture commissioner on behalf of three Floridians who were barred from purchasing firearms based on their use of marijuana, which I'm surprised it's only three. It's probably just three that have come up to her and told her that. This is definitely an interesting case to see. Definitely going to keep an eye on it, especially since it's a growing issue, especially as more states legalize marijuana. Yeah, I would say if you partake, and I'm not judging if you do, it's not really for me. But if you partake and, you know, you've probably thought about this before, and especially, obviously, you either have to lie on the 4473, which, like I said, is a felony, or you have to be honest. And then at that point, you don't get approved because at any point, if you answer incorrectly on that 4473, it doesn't even get submitted. The FFL will see and, you know, he'll just be like, sorry, you automatically got declined. Yeah. So we'll watch this and uh, I'll keep you guys updated on what happens. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about Mantis. Mantis is a new sponsor. If you guys haven't heard of them, they make a bunch of training aids to really help you hone in on your shooting accuracy. Earlier today, I recorded a YouTube video using their X10 and I got to say, it's actually a lot of fun and I didn't score hundred percent. Even, you know, people that have been in the industry for a little while now or they're firearms instructors, there's always room to learn. I think I scored like an average of like 97 point something, but it was a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend check out their products at mantisx.com. They have all kinds of stuff, but they're X10 specifically. So you can use it on a pistol, rifle, shotgun, archery. You can even practice drawing from your holster. There's all kinds of activities that you can try out a long list of things. So you're really never going to get bored. The price on that is $249.99. And again, that is at mantisx.com. I need to ask them if they're going to give us a coupon code. So I would wait before you guys decide to buy anything because hopefully there's going to be a coupon code, but I would definitely recommend it. And, you know, it might seem kind of pricey, you know, $249.99, but think about how much you're going to save on ammo and you're going to keep on practicing. And I don't know, in my opinion, it's just a win-win. Check them out at mantisx.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question is, I want to buy a 9mm recommendations. 
Okay. So I always hated this question. Even, you know, as an instructor, I get asked this all the time, like, what gun should I buy? The first thing that you want to think about is what are you going to be using this gun for? If it's for concealed carry, then obviously the size of the gun is going to be a major issue. You're not going to go out and buy some full-size gun, especially if you have, you know, a smaller stature. Take size into consideration at that point, then I would say, you know, the Ruger LCP, the Sig P365, the Smith & Wesson Shield Plus, let's see, the Springfield Hellcat, the XDS, any of those guns. And also think about what it's chambered in. You know, if you can't shoot a 9mm, let's say you're just like, oh, my hands, like I just can't deal with the recoil. And at that point, you're like, well, I'm limited to 22, which obviously 22 is better than nothing. And Federal came out with their punch ammo and it works great for self-defense. Then you also have to think, all right, well, now what do I have? Like the Ruger LCP is available in 22, but I would say ideally stick with either like 380, 30 super carry or nine millimeter. And then in addition to that, if you're like, well, I'm not using it for concealed carry, I'm going to be using it for just like recreational use, just to have fun on the range with, or if it's for home defense, well, in that case, now size doesn't mean anything. And I would say go for something that's full size because it's actually going to be more enjoyable to shoot and it's going to have less recoil. Just make sure that it fits your hand well. And if that's the case, you know, you should be able to shoot it much better than you would like a micro pistol. And then I would also say, you know, pay attention to mag capacity. So don't judge me, but for the longest time, well, I guess not the longest time, but I'd say probably the first two years that I got into guns, my home defense gun was actually a Springfield XDM chambered in nine millimeter. And that's because it held 18 rounds. To me, that was really important that I had control over the gun. It was easy to shoot and mag capacity. So I would definitely consider those. That's what I would say. And then also, as always, review the company and the model. Make sure that there's no recalls, that you know they haven't had issues. Make sure the company's been around for a long time. And unfortunately, if you got a really good deal, I might wonder why. Because even at this point, I mean, you're looking at like a high point, $150. A Sky Pistol, probably $300. I would say you spend at least 300 if not more, on the gun in order to have something that's quality made. I just finished adding some upgrades to my Galil Ace. I got the new Gen 2 version late last fall, the pistol. I decided to make it into an SBR, did the paperwork, it's legal. Put a stock muzzle brake and foregrip from JMAC Customs on it. The muzzle brake is freaking intense. I think it's called the FAL or the LOF. I think it's the FAL, F-A-L. And it's made to basically turn heads at the range. It's super loud. It's spitting out like, you know, balls of fire. And it was just a lot of fun to shoot. I think I had a smile on my face the entire time, which I then regretted afterwards because you're just getting all this like blowback of all the crap that you're shooting in your face. And yeah. And then I was like, why do I have my mouth open? <laughs> but um, if you guys want to check that out, I put a reel on Instagram on my Instagram, Ava Flannel underscore, but the new gen two version includes a free flow M lock rail for accessories, which I added some wood panels from LevTech manufacturing and a wood riser on the stock. And it's just got a really cool modern look. 
What I really love about the Gen 2 is the charging handles on the left side for the controls. So it's a lot easier than like your normal AK or the original Galil. Mine is in 762 by 39, but it's available in 545 by 39 and 556 in both pistol and rifle versions. Check it out at IWI.us. And while you're there, if you see any accessories, remember to use the code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, and that's going to get you 15% off your entire order. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Walter introduces the PDPF series. The PDP, the Personal Defense Pistol, was released last year and was a pretty solid looking new pistol added to the lineup with a good aggressive, you know, serrations on the slide, optic ready, good grip texture, decent capacity for its size. Well, now Walther took it like a step further and they've now created the PDPF series. And I'm assuming the F stands for female because this version is tailored with female shooters in mind. They took a mid-sized handgun, reduced the grip size while keeping a good ammo capacity. There are two models available in the new series. So one is a 4-inch barrel. The other one is a 3.7-inch barrel. Both are optic ready, and they both have the nice large serrations on the front and rear of the slide for easy manipulation. The changes that they made were to reduce the trigger reach for better trigger control, which makes sense. Typically with like smaller hands, you're going to have a hard time like reaching properly for that trigger. The PDT, which stands for performance duty trigger, which is supposed to have a shorter length of travel and better trigger break as well. They also reduced the slide force required to rack it by 20%. The grip circumference has been shrunk as well to better fit female hands. The new PDP grip angle is designed for natural aiming with red dots for faster sight acquisition. It's also modular with two different frame sizes and three different slide sizes if you want to switch things up. Capacity is 15 plus rounds, which is right up there where you'd expect for a mid-sized gun. People that come to mind that I know are sponsor shooters. So Gabby Franco, who I've had on the show, she's an Olympian and firearms instructor. She actually said that the PDP F series is the result of a revolutionary approach to creating a pistol with female shooters in mind. Walter Arms took the difficult task of developing a mid-sized frame handgun that offers high ammo capacity with a smaller grip, shorter trigger, and excellent ergonomics like no other. The F-Series is the best tool in the market for self-defense, law enforcement, target shooting, and competitive shooting. It makes me proud to be a part of a project to bring a pistol that contributes to many women's quests to become better shooters. MSRP on the new models are $699. I would like to get my hands on it, actually. I was actually thinking the other day that I should become a firearms consultant just because I get my hands on so many guns. I, you know, obviously see like, you know, even new shooters, experienced shooters. I hear I get a lot of feedback, but, you know, everybody wants to develop something for a female. But the problem is a lot of these engineers and people that work in the firearms industry are men and they don't typically know exactly what to do. They want to do it, but they're just that's like me, you know coming out with a gun that's made for a man where I'd be like, yeah, heavier slide, bigger grip. Like, I don't know. Just, it's just, unless you can relate, I think it's kind of hard to do. GSM outdoors. 
Walgers just released their new silencer earbuds. The silencer BT 2.0 features Bluetooth 5.0 for better battery life and longer connection range. They designed the new version for better stability in your ears and include touch button controls as well as full control through the app on your phone, which the touch button. So I've messed with a few in earbuds that are touch button, like my AirPods, for example. It always freaks me out, especially because for whatever reason, I must have like really weird shaped ears, but I'm constantly, they're falling out of my ear. I've tried changing the size of, you know, the little like rubber thing at the end. It doesn't help. So I'm constantly adjusting. And then as a result, I'm like messing with the sound or turning it off. And it's been interesting. So I wonder how these work if they're just like the AirPods. But anyway, so you can use these for phone calls, music, etc. you know, when you're on the range. They also give you ambient sound amplification, which is great for communicating with students and others on the range. If you're outside and it's windy, though, they also have noise cancellation for that. Battery life is good for all day on the range, and you can recharge them three times in the battery case before you have to recharge the case. If you want to check this out, head on over to walkersgameear.com. Remember, like all GSM outdoor brands, use the code GUNFUNNY20, all one word, and that's going to get you 20% off your entire order. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. The world's richest man, Elon Musk, is currently worth over $264 billion and just bought Twitter for $44 billion but he's reportedly homeless. In an interview with Chris Anderson for the TED company, Musk said he doesn't actually own a house and stays most of the time in the spare rooms of friends. He said, I don't even own a place right now. I'm literally staying at friends' places. If I travel to the Bay Area, which is where most of Tesla's engineering is, I basically rotate through friends' spare bedrooms. Kind of makes you not want to be friends with him just for that reason. (laughs) Okay, so it's... It's certainly true that people don't get rich being frivolous, but it's a bit extreme to not have a home as much money as he has. Like he could literally buy a house every day with the money he has. And yet here he is totally homeless. But at the same time, I mean, I guess if he travels a lot, but at that point I would still, I would buy like houses, especially if, you know, in the Bay area, if he's there usually most of the time, like, I don't know. I just feel like there's nothing better than to have like, just a home that you come back to, especially after traveling. In the interview, Anderson was pressing Musk about the attitude of the public towards billionaires, specifically with reference to how much tax the wealthy pay and that they have so much money with others having nothing. Musk said, for sure, it would be problematic if I was spending billions of dollars a year in personal consumption, but that's not the case. Musk does not own a private yacht or go on fancy holidays. His one major extravagance is a personal jet. If he didn't use the jet, he wouldn't be able to work as much, though. He admitted his own personal fortune is bonkers, but his personal consumption is not high. His ex has even said that he would sometimes live below the poverty line. Google co-founder Larry Page has even bought up Musk sofa surfing, saying he once emailed him, I don't know where to stay tonight. Can I come over? Interesting. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's weird, too, because with everything like going on about Elon, like I'm surprised that that hasn't really come to light more. And then also, I guess I just 
I don't really look too much into like celebrities or like these high profile people, but I also kind of assume that he had like a family, like a kid and, and wife, but I guess maybe he doesn't. Uh, maybe that's what I'll Google tonight at 1 a.m. when I can't sleep. Manicore arms. If you've got the BRN-180 or another rifle with a Picatinny rail stock attachment, definitely check out the trapdoor stock for Manicore Arms. It's styled like the original AR-180, and you can set it up to fold to either side, which is really cool. One of the other really cool things is the butt plate is a trapdoor that you can store, like, let's say a cleaning kit or something in it. And I have one. I actually put mine on the HK MP522 just because I was like, uh, you know, obviously I made it an SBR. Another thing that I want to point out is a few weeks ago, Brownells, they launched theirs that looks almost identical. It is a little bit different. And at first I didn't even notice. And I like messaged Sven and I was like, oh, cool. You made their email list. You know, I just got this email showing all their products. And he's like, oh no, that's not ours. It's slightly different. So Manicorms did come out with theirs first. And I believe Manicores is like, it's at least $20 cheaper and it includes that trapdoor stock, which Brownells does not. So just keep that in mind. It's made from like a rugged polymer and steel hinge and the whole thing weighs only 18 ounces. It's on their website right now, available for $179 at manicorms.com. But remember, if you use the code AVARROCKS15, all one word, you're going to get 15% off. Moving forward, only one review, and it is from Bry Sky 5 titled Awesomeness, five stars. Of all the podcasts that drop over the weekend, this is the one I listen to first. The best guests, the best insider tidbits, and puppies. I very much enjoy that these are not the guests circulating among other shows, but really get into the nitty gritty of the chew egg world. Keep it up. Well, Bry Sky 5 Hopefully I'm saying that right. Bright, brisk, five. I don't know. Whatever. Contact me. You are the winner. Congratulations. You get a puppy and her name is Peaches. Just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I really don't have anything bad to say about Peaches this week. She didn't pee on my bed. She's been behaving pretty well. She's just getting super big. It's like insane. Like I, she used to sleep curled up in a little ball, like on my shoulder at night. And now she doesn't even fit on my shoulder. <laughs> But yeah, she's once again, she's still a little piglet. She's increasing in weight. And I don't know if I said this on the last show, but I brought her to the vet for her third set of shots. And just in three weeks, she actually grew seven ounces, which is pretty extreme, pretty extreme. So especially for a little dog that's supposed to be a teacup, but pretty sure she's not a teacup. But anyways, message me and I will send out a prize pack. And it's time to wrap up. You guys can find me at gunfunny.com, links to everything. If you enjoy the show and you want to support it, consider becoming a Patreon. If you become a Patreon, you actually automatically get access to the Patreon-only Facebook group. But I will say, so recently there was somebody that just joined the group or tried to join the group. And I look at the profiles before I let them in because we're not trying to let in a bunch of weirdos. Even though, I mean, I will admit the Patreon group is filled with a lot of weirdos. But they're my weirdos. <laughs> but if your like account looks super sketch and you have nothing, like no friends, nothing posted. Yeah, sorry. So whoever that was, message me if there was like a misunderstanding, but I'm not trying to let in like a bunch of robots or, you know, ATF agents. <laughs> 
But yeah, so you can become a Patreon at gunfunny.com. Click on the support the show link or just go to patreon.com and search for Gunfunny Podcast. Blown Deadline, he gives away a $300 gift certificate each month to a lucky Patreon. Also want to thank the $25 Patreon to Org Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, and Melissa Ridings. And then King of the Patreon, still Jon Snow. And on that note... Christy's not with us, but guys, if you can go ahead and give her a follow on social media, support her. And yeah, I'm going to go work on my yard. It's actually nice outside for a change. Really excited for that. And as always, I will see you guys next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.